0: What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host JT. It's been a while since we went live man. Last week I couldn't go live how I wanted to because I just had a lot of work that I had to turn in. So I just wanted to go ahead and get ahead of my classwork. So I'm trying to stay ahead. We truly won't be ahead till after this week but I apologize for the unexpected vacation. Didn't mean for it to come down to that. But we're back and we're better now. We got a lot of things that we got to catch up on. We're going to be talking some NFL. The Bengals are 0-2 right now. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, on the other hand, they're 2-0. Who saw that coming? Justin Fields and the Bears. Oh, my goodness. They look terrible. And then college football. The Florida Gators, a team that... Most people coming into this season weren't expecting to do too much this year. They got a big upset over Tennessee. I'm going to be telling you guys what we learned about Florida and their upset went over the Vols. Alabama has named Jalen Milroe the starting quarterback. Once again, they play Ole Miss this week. Can they beat the Rebels with Jalen Milrow at quarterback? And Colorado, this could be a really magical season year one for them under coach prime i want to tell you guys why but before we get into it if you haven't already leave a like subscribe to the channel we go live monday through thursday at 5 p.m eastern time listen to the jt sports podcast we're not just a youtube channel you can find every episode of the podcast available in audio format on all podcasting platforms apple google spotify amazon wherever you get your podcasts from the JT Sports Podcast is available. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify. If you enjoy the content and you want to support us, give us a five-star review. JT Sports Podcast on Apple and Spotify greatly would appreciate it. Okay, so here we go, man. The Bengals are in trouble. They took an L to Baltimore, 27-24, to and this is not an ideal way to start this season. The Bengals started 0-2 last year and went all the way to the conference championship game, but this is 2023, not 2022. Don't know if you've been keeping up with the AFC North. But you look at the Cincinnati Bengals in this division, they cannot afford to get out to a slow start this year. The Cleveland Browns could be a really good team. You can't overlook Pittsburgh. The Ravens look like one of the best teams in the AFC right now. If Cincinnati gets out to, let's say, a 2-4 and start, I think it's wrapped for them. I don't think they're going to be able to come back from that. And what makes this situation even more concerning is that Joe Burrow late in that game against the Baltimore Ravens re-aggravated that calf and there's rumors and reports circulating around that he may end up missing four games potentially because of this and the calf injury definitely has kind of hindered his play week 1 he played terrible it was the worst game I've ever seen out of film and the NFL, then last week against Baltimore, he played better, but he still wasn't himself. And this Bengals offense doesn't look like the same offense that we've seen the past two seasons. They aren't really generating a lot of explosive plays. A lot of their damage is coming from the short and intermediate passing game. The offensive line... Still doesn't look as good as what it should be with the addition of left tackle Orlando Brown. And this defense got carved up by Lamar Jackson and the Ravens wide receivers. Cincinnati doesn't look like a great team right now. It is really early into the season, but this calf injury to Joe Burrow is really concerning. And if he has to miss time... There's a strong chance that Cincinnati, possibly when he comes back, maybe they only have one or two wins. And getting that far behind with how tough the AFC is and how tough the division that they play in is going to be this year, this is really, really alarming. If you are a fan of the Bengals, man, I don't think this is a team that this season, they're going to be able to bounce back from a slow start. And the statistics show that the majority of teams that get out to an 0-2 start, they don't make it to the playoffs. Their next three games are against the Rams, who look really good right now. The Titans on the road, and you already know you can never overlook a Mike Vrabel coach team. They pulled off an upset against the LA Chargers. You got Arizona, which you can win that game. You should beat Arizona. Then your schedule gets really tough. In the middle portion of October, you got Seattle, the 49ers, the Buffalo Bills in prime time. You also are going to have to face off against the Ravens, the Steelers, the Jaguars, even the Chiefs late in the year. If Kansas City ends up getting out to a slow start, they can recover because they're in a weak division. Cincinnati's in arguably the toughest division in the National Football League right now. And with how tough their schedule is going to get in the next couple of weeks, they cannot afford to be losing Joe Burrow for any portion of the season, even if he isn't 100%. And maybe Cincinnati should have been a little bit more cautious with how they handled Joe Burrow. Maybe he should have missed the first couple of weeks to make sure he was 100%. I mean, you might as well have benched him if he was going to play the way that he did week one. He played like shit. And last week he played better, but it still wasn't the same Joe Burrow that we've been accustomed to seeing over the last couple of years. Bengals Nation, you guys should be very alarmed with your 0-2 start this year. Yes, you came back from an 0-2 start in 2022, but this is 2023. The Ravens look really good, and every other every other team in this division looks really good. And you look at the Ravens and the Browns. They potentially could be Super Bowl contenders, depending on how their season goes, if the Browns can play up to the level of talent that they have. The Buccaneers, who would have thought they would be 2-0 heading into their Week 3 matchup against Philadelphia? Are they legit? Or is this team's 2-0 start a little bit of a fluke? They beat Minnesota Week 1, 20-17 in comeback fashion, Minnesota's 0-2. The Chicago Bears, they just beat them 27-17, to and they're also 0-2. Are the Buccaneers actually a team that maybe most of us overlooked, or are they just a team that happens to catch a little bit of luck early into the season, and are they going to fall off? This defense, you already know, is going to be really good. They've played really well their first two weeks. They pretty much neutralized the Chicago Bears offense. Justin Fields played terribly. They were getting after him all game. And offensively, this team has been surprisingly good. Baker Mayfield, we talk about Geno Smith's comeback season last year, how he just came out of nowhere and resurrected his career Imagine Baker Mayfield in 2023 having a Pro Bowl caliber season. Imagine if Baker Mayfield can continue to play the way that he has the first two games of the season for Tampa Bay against Chicago. He barely had an incompletion. He was 26 to 34 through for 317 and was in 76% of his passes. I've never seen Baker Mayfield look this efficient in his whole entire career. Even the year that he led Cleveland to the playoffs, he didn't look this good this early on. If Baker Mayfield ends up resurrecting his career with the Tempe Buccaneers, I would have seen it all this year. We've seen Colorado go from one win to potentially being bowl eligible under Coach Prime. And then Baker Mayfield, fam? Turning his career around with Tampa, a team who most of us thought was going to be in the tank for Kayla Williams sweet stakes, I would have seen everything. There's no way you could have wrote this up in any script. I'm sorry. Who would have typed in the script Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers surprised the National Football League? Because there's always a couple of teams, at least one or two in every conference that come out of nowhere and make the playoffs. We had two in this conference last year, the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks. Remember, just like the Buccaneers, nobody was high on them. And they went to the playoffs. They surprised people. The Buccaneers Most people, why they sour over Tampa Bay is because of Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles has a losing record as a head coach, and he isn't really that great. Well, so far, it looks like he has nailed the hiring of his new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. A large reason why Baker Mayfield and this offense have looked better this season than what they did last year up to this point is because of Dave Canales being hired to call the plays on offense for them. He spent the last couple of years in Seattle as the quarterback's coach down there. He was a big reason why Geno Smith had that big resurrection season in 2022. He also was there for a good amount of the Russell Wilson years. Dave Canales... He's running a quarterback-friendly offense that's going to be easy for the players to understand. They're going to be running similar formations but different plays out of them, something like that. Dave Canales is a really smart guy. The players seem to really like him, and he does a really good job at making things digestible for these players to be able to understand and making a quarterback-friendly system that looks quarterback-friendly right now. We haven't seen Baker Mayfield play this well in years. I mean, this is, what, his fourth team in, what, three years? He got traded to the Panthers, then he got cut by them, brought on by the Rams, and now he's with the Tempe Buccaneers. You talk about a surprise story. I think that maybe Tampa Bay possibly could be a little bit better than what we initially thought. You look at their schedule, it's not really that tough. Yes, they do have a tough matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's going to tell us a lot about Tampa Bay. They probably won't win that game. But, you know, they play in the weakest division in the NFL. You definitely like their chances against the New Orleans Saints. The problem with the Buccaneers wasn't really more so talent. We knew that this team had talent. We knew they were going to be solid defensively, offensively. You got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rashad White is a really good up-and-coming running back. The question with Tampa Bay this year was how good play you was going to get out of the quarterback position and how this offensive line was going to look with several players starting on this line that are playing out of position. Tristan Worf is playing left tackle. He formerly played right tackle his first couple of years for the Bucks. But so far, everything is going along pretty smoothly for Tampa Bay. Their schedule, they're playing against the Eagles. Monday night, they probably will lose that game. But maybe they could pull off the upset. Philly hasn't really looked as dominant as what they did last year. New Orleans, hell, if they can keep playing the way they did, I like their chances against the Saints. I hate the Saints. I don't like Dennis Allen as a head coach. They had Sean Payton. I think the Saints would be a lot better. The Falcons, like the Buccaneers, have been a little bit of a surprise. Then you got the Bills, Texans, Titans, 49ers, Colts. So you got some tough teams in here. But for the most part, I think a lot of Tampa Bay's up-and-coming games, are pretty winnable if they're able to continue the way to well they continue to play the way that they have the first two weeks of the season I don't really think this team is a fluke we knew that this team was going to be really good defensively and Dave Canales it looks like him being hired as their new offensive coordinator we're playing Byron Leftwich looks like a really good hire by Todd Bowles and if Dave Canales ends up Helping Baker Mayfield have a Pro Bowl season. I wouldn't be surprised if we see this dude become a head coach next year. I mean, Baker Mayfield was damn near out the league. People were talking about him potentially retiring if he didn't work out in Tampa Bay. Dave Canales is a large reason why the Buccaneers are having so much sex, so much success offensively. And the Buccaneers. You know, maybe this team isn't so bad after all. Maybe they won't be tanking for Caleb Williams. And I don't think it would have made sense for them to do that anyway, because Todd Bowles is trying to remain a head coach. I don't think he would have wanted to tank and end up getting fired. Why would he want to do that? He probably would never get another head coaching opportunity. He lost with the Jets and he lost with Tampa Bay. Outside of even when they went to the playoffs, they had a losing record. So I don't think Todd Bowles is in the thought process of tanking for Caleb Williams when what's the point of tanking for a guy who you may not be there next season to coach? You're just doing, you're just making the job easier for the next coach if Todd Bowles doesn't work out this season in Tampa. But the Buccaneers, man, maybe this team is starting to hit their strides. Maybe they made some really good hires on the staff on offense. And Tom Bowles, maybe he has this Buccaneers team playing at a level that maybe they could potentially win this division. This division isn't good. There are a lot of mid-teams in the NFC South, and if Tampa Bay keeps playing up to how they have the last two weeks, you mean to tell me you don't think they can win one of the weakest divisions in the league this year? Keep your eyes on the Buccaneers this year. The Bears look terrible. They're 0-2. They have an average score margin of 14, one of the worst in the NFL. They got blasted 38-20 to by the Packers, and they lost by 10 to the Tempe Buccaneers. Justin Fields, what the hell happened to this man? He was playing some really good football at times last year. I had him on my fantasy squad. This season, he's been playing like dog shit. And I love Justin Fields. This is my favorite player in the NFL, but we got to keep it 100 And I was listening to First Take earlier this morning, and Stephen A. Smith said that Justin Fields is not to blame for the Bears' struggles in Chicago. And I got to ask you, Stephen A. Smith, did you watch Justin Fields against the Tempe Buccaneers? Stephen A. Smith, Justin Fields got outplayed by Baker Mayfield. I saw several times in that game Justin Fields get sacked Not because the offensive line was bad, but either A, he was holding on to the ball too damn long, or two, he was showcasing his poor pocket awareness and literally running right into defenders. There was one play where Justin Fields, instead of running outside of the pocket where he had space to run and pick up a lot of yards, he stepped up and ran up into a sack. Are you serious? Are we not watching the same film here? Like, Justin Fields has not looked good this year. He looks like he has regressed. Luke Getze? I mean, some people don't want to give him blame. Some people think that Justin Fields is making Luke Getze look bad. Some of the plays that I saw Chicago try to execute against Tampa Bay, like that wide receiver little reverse they be trying to do, is awful. I mean, the Chicago Bears... Not only is Justin Fields not playing well, but the coaching doesn't look up to par. Isn't Matt Eberflus supposed to be a defensive-minded hand coach? He had a really good defense during his time in Indianapolis. That defense still looks crazy bad. They were getting shredded by Baker Mayfield. Mike Evans had damn near a career day. He went for 170. Two on Bay on Chicago's defense. This doesn't look like a great team. This team looks... Awfully coached, and the quarterback play has been disappointing, to say the least. We were expecting Justin Fields to take a monumental leap this year. There were people who were putting their money on Justin Fields winning MVP this season. And I know after watching these first two games, if you put money on Justin Fields winning MVP, you got to be having a really sick feeling in your stomach because you just donated money to charity to Vegas. Justin Fields doesn't even look like a top-half starting quarterback right now. He can't hit a lot of accurate guys. He doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation. And also, he overlooks a lot of open wide receivers. There was a play against the Buccaneers when DJ Moore was open on the flat route, and Justin Fields didn't even look his direction on some Mr. shit. I remember when I was watching the Bears play a couple of years ago, And Mitch Trubisky looked at Allen Robinson, looked at somebody else, looked at Allen Robinson wide open again, and threw it to somebody else who was covered. The development of Justin Fields has looked terrible the first two weeks this year. And maybe Justin Fields ends up turning it around. I hope that he turns it around But the Bears don't look like a good team. This looks like a team that possibly could be picking in the top three, top five of the draft next year. They were banking on Justin Fields, making improvements. There's no more excuses that you can make for Justin Fields. You get DJ Moore. You improved the offensive line, but... Even with the improvements that they made to the offensive line, it still doesn't look all that great. Your left tackle, who started for you last year, was getting destroyed. Your right tackle, down there on right, rookie out of Tennessee, was getting destroyed and eight and up. This team doesn't look good. You can't put all the blame on Justin Fields, but you do have to give him the majority of blame. I mean, the dude had several turnovers. He's a turnover machine. He's just not playing great football. As much as I love Justin Fields, I got to keep it 100, and I got to be unbiased. I'm really disappointed with what I've seen out of him. He doesn't look like he's taking steps in improvement. He looks like he's taking steps backwards. He doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. I mean, he's not going through all his progressions. He's not seeing open wide receivers. He just looks lost out there. Honestly, when you look at Justin Fields against Tampa Bay, he just looked like a deer in highlights. Outside of running the football, throwing the football just doesn't look all that comfortable for him. Maybe he needs to get traded to a team that has one of the best offensive minds in the league. Maybe a Sean McVay would take him. Hell, Kevin O'Connell, I would love to see what he could do with Justin Fields, but it doesn't look good for the Chicago Bears. You can say maybe the Bears got to pick a side, Matt Eberflus or Justin Fields, but. I think they should probably move on from both. If the season wants to end right now, Justin Fields doesn't look like the kind of quarterback that can lead you to the promised land. And Matt Heberflus, his defense sucks. And if you specialize in defense and your defense is garbage, that means you're not a good head coach. Justin Fields in Chicago, man, they got the Philadelphia, well, they got the Kansas City Chiefs coming up this week. It looks like they most likely are headed for a 0-3 start And the majority of times, if your team starts 0-3, that means that you probably miss out on the playoffs. Maybe the Bears get hot in the middle of the season, but it's like when you look at their schedule, where do you see an easy win? I mean, we thought that they were going to be able to beat the Buccaneers week one, well, week two, and they lost that game. You know, like we thought this team could possibly start 2-0. They lost to Green Bay. He lost to Jordan Love. Jordan Love, nobody really knew what to expect from him in his first official game starting for Green Bay post-Aaron Rodgers, and he outplayed Justin Fields. And not just did Jordan Love outplay Justin Fields, but so did Baker Mayfield. Justin Fields looks like one of the worst quarterbacks in the National Football League right now. This season, if they lose to Kansas City, could possibly lean to implosion for chicago this year and it's a little disappointing a lot of people didn't expect much out of the bears this season at best you probably thought they could be between 8-10 wins this year but man this team looks terrible they need to make some changes and they need to make them fast because if they lose to kansas city you're going to have to start asking a lot of tough questions. Before we move on to the college football portion of this episode, leave a like, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you're enjoying this episode so far, rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. You can listen to the podcast not just on YouTube, but in audio format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. Shout out to everybody in the chat. Anthony Davis says, Bears look horrible. I am disappointed in fields. I am too, brother. I'm really disappointed. David Corona, shout out to you. What up, JT49ers all day, every day. It's time to move on to college football, man. Whew. The Florida Gators are a better team than what they were given credit for prior to the start of this season. Vegas has an over under one total for Florida of five and a half. And after their week one loss to Utah, 24 to 11, most people rolled off the Florida Gators and Billy Napier. And then they pull off a shocking upset at home against the Tennessee Vols, 29 to 16. And we got to talk about what we learned about Florida and their win over the Vols. Because first of all, this defense looks massively improved under Austin Armstrong, and I know it's really early into this season, and this defense has given up a couple of big plays. When you look at the secondary, they've given up a couple of big plays, the Utah and Tennessee, but for the most part, this defense... Has been playing at a really good level compared to the level of play that they've been getting from this side of the ball for the last what four to five years? You had some really bad defensive coordinators to do. You had calling plays last year was awful and Todd Grantham all those years under Dan Mullen. Yuck, let's not even get started on that. We might have to throw up if we talk more about Todd Grantham, but Austin Armstrong, he definitely has proven why he's one of the youngest defensive coordinators in all of Power 5. He had a really good game plan against that Tennessee offense. He held DeVos to 16 points. Do you not know how impressive that is? Like, Tennessee normally on any given day hangs sturdy on you with ease. So the fact that Florida's offense neutralized one of the most explosive offenses in college football was really impressive. This defensive line, not just do they have a lot of talent on this D-line, but they got a lot of depth. They can rotate multiple guys in on this defensive line, and they were getting a lot of pressure on Joe Milton. Even though it may not be reflected in the box score, I felt like Tennessee's offensive line really lost the battle in the trenches against Florida's defensive line. I think that this defensive line is going to be the reason why Florida defensively is going to be able to hang around with the majority of teams that they play this year. Their secondary isn't bad. It's just sometimes they are prone to giving up big plays here and there. But this defense led by Austin Armstrong at defensive coordinator looks really good. Now, Graham Mertz, we all laughed when it was announced that he was transferring from Wisconsin to Florida. And his week one performance against Utah was less to be desired. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything to glow the right home about. Well, he had a really good outing against Tennessee. And no, he didn't have a Shadur Sanders or Caleb Williams stat line. He only threw 24 passes, one touchdown, and had 166 yards through the air. But he had no turnovers. And you know what he did? He got the job done. He managed the game. That's all Florida needs out of Graham Mertz this year. They don't need anything fantastic or special out of him. They just need him to take care of the football, manage the game, and make a couple of big throws on third down here and there. And that's what Graham Mertz did. This rushing attack absolutely took over. Trevor Etienne, oh, my God. Do you talk about somebody playing like they was possessed? Man, these defenders for Tennessee didn't want to tackle this fool any time he got the football, it seemed like. 23 carries, 172 rushing yards. He was averaging 7.5 yards per carry. This fool was averaging a first down every two carries damn near. He was unstoppable. He was Florida's best player on both sides in this game, even though he doesn't play defense. If I was giving out a player of the game award for this game, I'm giving it to Trevor Etienne. And after this performance, you may say that he could be considered right now the best running back in the SEC. Who's had a better performance in the SEC so far running back outside of what Trevor Etienne did? I can't think of anybody. Trevor Etienne, this dude is a freaking beast. Montrell Johnson, he didn't really do much in this game, but he's a beast also. And I really like the young receivers that Florida has. We saw a brief appearance from... Caleb Douglas. You also have a freshman wideout in Eugene Wilson. Marcus Burke, who I really like a lot, even though we didn't see him get called in this game. There's a good amount of young talent at receiver for Florida. There's a narrative that Florida doesn't have talent at receiver. That's false. They have talent. They just have players who are unproven. You know, this offense I hate the fact that it's so conservative in a sense. It's not really super aggressive. They don't really push the ball downfield. But one thing that we definitely did learn and the biggest overall takeaway from this game is that Florida knows who they are. This team knows what they are as a football team and what their identity is. And their identity is, we're not a team that's going to put 40 on you. We're a team that we want to play ball control offense. We want to take a lot of time off the clock, keep your defense on the field and run the football at will and throw the football when we have to. And as for grand Mertz to make the necessary plays when need be, we don't need to rely on grand Mertz to win us games because that's not a winning formula. The reason why Florida lost to Utah is because they had to rely on Graham Mertz to win that game for them because the run game was non-existent. The defensive line of Utah absolutely stopped Florida's run game. I mean, Florida couldn't get anything going on the ground. So for Florida, as long as they can continue to establish the run game and this defense can continue to play the way that it did against their win against the Tennessee Vols, This is possibly a team that could be the second best team in the SEC East this year. The SEC East, in terms of who's going to be the second place team behind Georgia, is wide open. It could be Kentucky. It could be Missouri. It could be Florida. Hell, even Tennessee could come back and surprise us. But Florida, I think with this win against Tennessee, it definitely has proven to any of the Billy Napier doubters out there that this team is at least going to be good enough to be bowl eligible. You know, I had a hard time seeing Florida winning less than six games. I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan, but even I thought that was a little bit outrageous. You know, Florida may not look impressive on paper, but Billy Napier is a solid coach. You know, he gets the most out of his quarterbacks. His quarterbacks are pretty methodical. The Anthony Richardson experiment didn't really go all that well, but Graham Mertz is no Anthony Richardson, and that's a good thing, and a bad thing at times you're not going to have somebody that's going to be able to make things happen when things break down and turn nothing into something that's not who Graham Mertz is but what you do get out of Graham Mertz is somebody who plays better in structure and somebody who's better in the short intermediate passing game and somebody who you can trust to manage the game and that's what Graham Mertz did a really good job at against Tennessee you don't need insanely good quarterback play to be able to win in the SEC as long as you can play complementary football. The teams that overly on their quarterbacks are one-dimensional. Look at North Carolina. I don't even know why North Carolina gets so much praise in the AP Top 25. It's just a Drake May or Bus team. If Drake May doesn't have a good game, they lose. Colorado with Shadur Sanders. I mean, there's Shadur Sanders and everybody else. Florida, isn't that kind of team they don't need to overly rely on their quarterback to win their games because they can play complementary football and be better at every other phase of the game so florida they beat tennessee 29 16 let me know your thoughts about what you learned your takeaways from florida's win over the vols in the comment section alabama against usf they looked really bad it was kind of com- comedic watching alabama struggle against usf i had a homeboy hit me up say hey jt light turn on the alabama usf game and i'm looking at the score. it's 17-3 i'm like bruh what the hell is wrong with alabama well i'll tell you what the hell was wrong with alabama against the university of south florida they had no damn quarterback Tyler Buckner, they had the nerve to start that fool, and he played just as bad as what we expected him, 5 of 14, 34 passing yards, and you see he wasn't in the game for too long until they put Ty Simpson in, and Ty Simpson, I mean, he didn't really do anything also. So Jalen Milroe has just been announced a couple of hours ago that he's been named the starting quarterback once again for Alabama There's not really a good explanation for why he didn't play last week. There's some rumors that say he got suspended because obviously, judging by what we saw against USF and the comedy show that we got out of the quarterback position for Bama, Jalen Milrow is miles better than Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson. Jalen Milrow may not be the greatest passer in the world, but his athleticism is going to allow you to... Be serviceable offensively. He's going to have some throws that he's going to miss really bad on, but he's also a better deep ball thrower than whatever else you have on the depth chart at quarterback. Ty Simpson, the deep ball isn't there for him. And Ty Tyler Buckner, he doesn't have any accuracy at all. He went 5 of 14. It was awful out there. Jalen Milrow, he's not a consistent passer, but I don't think he's bad to the point where you can't have success throwing the football with him at all his decision making isn't really great and he doesn't really do a good job at going through his reads but with his athleticism and the fact that he's a threat to take it to the house any single time he chooses to run with the football is something that makes him a good option at quarterback for bama going into a really big game at home against Ole miss Ole miss defensively I don't really think that Alabama fans have anything to be concerned about. I don't think this offense should really struggle much against the Ole Miss defense. You got Pete Golding as your defensive coordinator, which you Crimson Tide fans are already really familiar with. And if you kept up with Pete Golding in all those years he was the D.C. for Alabama, you would know that this defense was not that great under him. Jalen Milrow, I think that— he could have a big day on the ground against that Ole Miss defense, and if Tommy Reese does a better job of incorporating his athletic ability into this game, Alabama's offense should do a lot of damage on the ground, and they should be able to play the style of football that Nick Saban wants to play. Nick Saban isn't trying to air the football out anymore like he has done in the past with Max Jones, Tua Tagovailoa, and Bryce Young. He's trying to get back to the basics, which is – old school smash mouth football and taking a lot of time off the clock and being a more physical team than you. The offensive line didn't look good. Jalen Milrow with him at quarterback, it gives you a little bit of an advantage because when you got an offensive line that's bad and things break down pretty often, you need to have a quarterback that can play, make and improvise. And that's what Jalen Milrow can do. Jalen Milrow never should have got benched in the first place. Maybe he got suspended. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But against Ole Miss, he definitely gives Alabama the best chance to win compared to Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson. And I believe that Alabama is going to beat Ole Miss. It may be a pretty close game, but Ole Miss offensively, they may put up a lot of points on Alabama's defense. Well, I won't say a lot of points, but I think there's a chance that they may get to the mid or high 20s in this game. Old Miss offensively, they're really good. They got a good offensive line. You look at Jackson Dart, who beat out Spencer Sanders for the starting quarterback job. He's been playing really well. They got a really good group of wide receivers. You got Quinshon Judkins, who is the best running back in college football, in my opinion. Ole Miss has a really stacked offense, but defensively, I could see Alabama being able to execute that ball control offense that Nick Saban wanted to implement. Ole Miss... I think their offense may give Alabama's defense some trouble, but defensively, I don't expect them to be able to slow down Alabama with Jalen Monroe at quarterback. He may have some struggles. He may have an interception or two, but when it comes to his ability to generate big plays on the ground, I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to prepare for that. This dude is a really good athlete. And against Texas, he didn't even play that bad. I mean, he didn't play great. He definitely did cost them the game, but – He also made some plays that kept him in the game. He threw a big touchdown that made it a one-possession game at one point. You know, he wasn't bad, and he played great against Middle Tennessee State. It's Middle Tennessee State, but he probably could have did similar what he did against Middle Tennessee State against USF. I mean, Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson strode against USF with having five and four stars around them. I think that obviously shows you that Jalen Milrow is the best quarterback on the roster and it's not really close. And I think that he gives Alabama a great shot at beating Ole Miss. And that's why I like Alabama to beat Ole Miss. That's not an official prediction, but if I was giving you one right now, I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to beat Alabama. Majority of bettors are siding with Ole Miss to win, but Jalen Milrow isn't as bad as the two quarterbacks that we saw against USF. His running ability, the fact that he does have, The ability to hit a couple of big plays in the passing game every once in a while is going to allow Alabama a shot at being able to avoid the upset at home. And I can't see Alabama dropping two games and one year at Tuscaloosa. Not anybody just wins on the road at Alabama. You got to be a damn good team to beat Alabama at home. Texas is really good. LSU in 2019, when they won a national championship, beat Alabama. That 2015 Hugh Freeze coach Auburn or Ole Miss team beat Alabama at home. To beat Alabama, you got to have a great team. And Ole Miss, they got a solid team, but I don't think they got a good enough defense to be able to really give Alabama's offense anything that they really have to worry about yeah throwing the football probably will be ill-advised but i don't think old miss is going to be able to stop the ground game of alabama i don't think they have the guys up front on that front seven to be able to slow down this rushing attack alabama's offensive line played bad but i think they should bounce back against old miss Deion sanders first year at colorado feels like a movie it just seems like they just find ways to win. That Colorado State game was one of the best games that I've ever watched. I mean, at one point it seemed like Colorado was going to get upset by their arch nemesis Colorado State. And then Shadur Sanders final drive engineers a 98-yard touchdown drive plus the two-point conversion to send it to overtime. Then they get it done in double OT. You look at Colorado and the success that they have had so far up to this point under Coach Prime, it's not a mistake. This team is not fluky. This team, they are led by one player, and that one player is Shadur Sanders. Travis Hunter, he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks due to that dirty hit that he received from Colorado State. But Colorado... If you're looking for when this team is finally going to end up losing, there's a chance that it might not happen. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Disney movies, but Disney movies always seem to have a magical feel. You, all, you, you ever watch Remember the Titans, that football movie that had Denzel Washington as the head coach? And, you know, they didn't really want a black coach and they were looking for any reason to fire him. But they just kept on winning and winning and winning. That's kind of what Colorado is doing right now. Nobody expected this team to be as good as what they are right now, other than me and a couple of other people. And you guys already know, I told you guys all last season. And you can't remember this when this season concludes that I said Colorado was at least going to be a 6-7 win team or better this year. And they already have tripled their win total from last year. They're at three wins. There's not a single team on Colorado's schedule that they don't have a chance at beating. You keep saying they don't have the talent. They don't have the guys up front. And some of that is true. But you know who they do have? Shader Sanders, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And something that college football has showed us over times is that Even if you have a average team, if you have a great quarterback, a great quarterback can elevate a average roster in college football. Look at North Carolina. They're doing the same thing with Drake May. They can't run the ball. They don't really got a great defense neither. That team is Drake May or die and they're winning games. The same way Colorado State is kind of winning games. It's the same way UNC is with Drake May. Shadir Sanders has arguably played Like the best quarterback in the country. Now, whether he's better than Caleb Williams, that's a discussion for another day. But do you know that this brother is completing 78.8% of his passes? This brother nearly has a completion percentage of 80. Do you not know how rare that is? I'm looking at Shadir Sanders' 10 to 1 touchdown interception ratio, averaging 40 plus pass attempts per game. Under constant duress. I mean, he's been playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in all of college football, and it doesn't matter. You want to know why? Because he's just that dude. He's just that good. When you have a Shadur Sanders, it's going to allow you to compete in games that people think you don't have a chance at being able to be competitive in, like this week against Oregon. Colorado is a 20 point underdog. I don't think Colorado's about to get blown out by Oregon. Do you see? Every single week, the same story keeps getting repeated about Colorado over and over again. Oh, they're not good enough to compete with this team. They don't got enough up front. And what do they do? They beat you, and they find ways to win doing it. Deion Sanders is one of those guys that you either love him or you hate him. But whether you like him or not, you got to give Deion Sanders a lot of respect and props for what he's done up during Boulder, Colorado. Like, we got to stop some of the hate. You got to realize that what Colorado is doing is kind of magical. And their first three games kind of have given me a little bit of a hint that this is going to be one of those seasons where Colorado possibly could win maybe nine, ten games. And nobody could ever see it coming. Like, just look at how that Colorado State game went. Think about their week one win on the road against TCU. This is one of those storybook kind of seasons that you would make a Disney movie about. That Colorado State game, Travis Hunter gets knocked out due to a dirty hit. I mean, that's one of those kind of plays and injuries that loses the morale and soul of your locker room. Colorado, after they lost Travis Hunter, they could have underplayed and underperformed because of that. But they got more locked in because of it, and it was a really chippy game. But this is a team that responds incredibly well to tough moments in adversity. Every single time the game is on the line, Colorado comes through and they make big plays. You see, you don't got to like Deion Sanders, but you at least have to Give him props for what he's done at a school that has had a losing record for nearly two decades. I mean, Colorado hasn't been this relevant since, what, when they had Airbnb at running back? Colorado season, man, just feels like a Disney movie. And you guys listening to this in the chat right now, let me know if I'm tripping. But this just seems like a really magical season that... Colorado is having right now I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this team in the Pac-12 championship these are one of those teams that you can't judge off talent and how they compare to other teams who may be talented than them this is one of those teams that it doesn't matter about the talent it doesn't matter about the recruiting rankings what matters is anytime this team has a ball game that they have to play they find ways to win it It may not be pretty. It may be a little ugly. It may be a little close than what you expect, especially when you're playing against schools like Colorado State. But when you have a roster that is going over this much turnover, it's not always going to look pretty all the time. All that matters at the end of the day of your Deion Sanders is walking away with the win. And you got to wonder eventually who's going to end up beating Colorado. I mean, it's easy to say Oregon and USC are going to beat Colorado, but that's just because you're judging the games based on what you see on paper. Nobody saw TCU losing to Colorado on paper. Nobody saw Colorado even being a three-win team on paper for the most part. If you thought Colorado was going to be good enough to be bowl eligible this year, it's because you believed. You believed in Coach Prime. You believed in the process. You watched, and you know what Coach Prime does everywhere he goes. He wins. And it rubs people the wrong way how he goes about doing it. Yeah, sometimes it may seem like he's a little cocky or a little bit arrogant and braggadocious. He does tend to make everything a TV show. But that's what college football is about it's about drawing viewership, it's about getting fans engaged. And that's what Deion Sanders has done. And say, Anything that you want to negatively about Deion Sanders, he may talk a lot, but he backs it up. And I think that's what makes people so upset about Deion Sanders is that you hate somebody who always comes out on top. It just happens to be that Deion Sanders is at Colorado and this isn't just a hype train. This is actually a legit good team. This is one of those seasons that You guys are going to look back on, you're going to be like, damn, like, who else can replicate this? Nobody else is going to be able to replicate this kind of season at a program that has the kind of history that Colorado has had over the last couple of decades. You want to know why? Because not everybody has a Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is a -a once-in-a-lifetime head coach. He's the only head coach in America who doesn't have the resume of Orion Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, or Kirby Smart. And yet he can go into a living room of any five or four-star recruit that's recruiting with, well, he can go into the living room and talk to any recruit that has interest in Alabama, House State, or any of the big boy schools. You want to know why? Because he's Deion freaking Sanders, dog. Everybody knows who Deion Sanders is. When Nick Saban and Kirby Smart walk into a recruit's living room, their moms probably don't even know who the hell they are. All they know is that they're football coaches. But when Deion Sanders knocks on your door, everybody in your family knows who Deion Sanders is. Your mom probably had a crush on Deion Sanders in that ball head when he was playing football. Deion Sanders, you know what he can do is something that, A lot of new head coaches don't have the ability to do. He's really charismatic. But the thing that really stands out the most about Deion Sanders is how he bonds with his players. It's not really a team. It's really a family. And he really goes about it that way. He's hugging players on the sideline. He's coaching guys up. Instead of yelling and cursing guys out, he's actually coaching them up. I remember when um, Torrey Holton, Number 14, that Colorado State wide receiver who was doing work all afternoon on Colorado secondary, he got a touchdown late, and he's coaching up the cornerback who gave up the touchdown. Hey, fool, like, you got to be inside. That's good coaching. Deion Sanders not just is a great motivator, but he's a great leader of men. He's a great head coach. He has his son, that quarterback, who's absolutely carrying Colorado on his back. And even though they don't have Travis Hunter, they still have a chance at being able to beat Oregon and USC and whoever else without him because they got Shadur. Shadur is the heart and soul of that team. They got Shadur Sanders, Shiloh Sanders, and Deion Sanders all on the same team. You talk about leaving a legacy. The das the head coach? And his two sons are two of the best players on the team? That's crazy. There's no way you can't tell me that this season is not going to be magical for Colorado. You talk about leaving a legacy. When Deion Sanders leaves this earth, he's going to have Shadur. He's going to have Shilo, And he's going to have the memory of his first season at Colorado. And that's something that a lot of us are not going to forget. A lot of people are going to remember what Colorado has done and what they're going to do from this point further. This is a season that could be really magical for the Colorado Buffaloes football program year one under Deion Sanders. There's not a single game they don't have a chance at winning. I mean, yeah, they may not have a defense, but who else in the Pac-12 has a incredibly great defense? We still don't know what Washington and Oregon and USC have great defenses. They haven't been tested. This is the best offense that Oregon has faced up to this point Even then, a couple of weeks ago, they were getting 30 hung on them by Texas Tech with ease. There's not a team that Colorado doesn't have a shot at beating. Nobody in the Pac-12 is really playing outstanding defense outside for a couple of great teams. If you have a great quarterback and you can score 30, 40 a game, there's not a game that you can't win. This season is going to be special for the Colorado Buffaloes. Keep your eyes out for them, man. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode for the last time, leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the end of this month. So if you listen to podcasts, get your smartphone. Go to Spotify or Apple, whatever you listen to your podcast on and type in JT Sports Podcast and the will pop up. Give us a five-star review or you can go down to the description down below and there will be the links to Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode and I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.